Welcome, everybody, to the Eyes on Big Podcast, your go-to Big Ten football podcast brought to you by the Amador Whiskey Company. I'm your co-host, Jeffrey DeGree, joined on Wednesdays by... This is Dustin Schutte. Dustin, are you on Twitter? Yup. It's <laughs> uh, <laughs> the first time I can say it. I made the return. It is at Shooty Dustin. All right, man. Well, welcome back. Hopefully it's a mostly uh, non-painful experience for you. That's that's the best I can hope because there's going to be pain. It's Twitter. I, I can't, nobody yes. can stop it, but hopefully. Uh, and I am Jeffrey the Greek at Jeffrey the Greek. Thank you so much for listening and downloading the podcast. Week eight preview, eyes on big pod. Um, I have one thing to say, and I didn't want to say it to you before we got into our actual kind of housekeeping stuff that we already kind of, you know, briefly spoke about, uh, my wife, uh, Mrs. Greek, uh, great, uh, great wife, great mother, great provider. Um, not the biggest college football fan in the world. Right. So she doesn't really click and download the eyes on big podcast. You know, she, you would think she'd want to give me the download, but you know, too much work for her type of deal. Anyway, she, she hardly, if ever, you know, clicks and listens to the to the podcast. The one podcast that auto loaded and her listening to was when you dropped the Greek. I got ninety nine problems and a wife ain't one. That that is yes. the podcast she's listened to in in months and months. Uh, as soon as you started going down that rabbit hole, I was like, she absolutely that popped up. It it played automatically or something along those lines. Like <laughs> I I knew I was in trouble as soon as that came along. And that is just how the law of averages yes. works in a marriage. Like the one time she would, now I just like to say she was a great sport about it. She thought it was hilarious. No big deal. But anyways, I thought it was funny enough to, to bring up. Uh, okay. Now that I'm done busting your chops, we've got some chops we want to bust nationally. Um, so I, how, just how, how folks know how this goes, whether it's DS or Big Kurt, I put a sheet together that essentially has the basic info, you know, when the game is TV lines and all that stuff. Um, and then at the top, there's, there's potential topics that maybe DS and I want to talk about uh, if it's a Wednesday podcast, obviously. And then, but we don't talk much about it. We, we don't talk anything outside those bullet points. We want things to be organic. So these rants that have been going on at the beginning of the podcast, I can assure you have been organic other than I might just say, I'd like to talk about such and such. So that is my long way of explaining that, that we basically have decided to, to name the beginning of the podcast. And, and this segment is what they, I should say. Um, the next thing I would say is this is a very pro Seinfeld and family guy podcast. Uh, so we're going to use a, uh, family Guy reference here. Apologies to people that aren't big Family Guy fan fans, but there was a segment way back. I mean, I think this is like season five or six. It's been a long time uh, where Peter goes on the local news and he's talked about, yeah, you know what really grinds my gears? We have decided to label this something close to that. We're going to call this the bothers my big <laughs> segment, <laughs> which I love it. <laughs> Somebody's going to probably come up with a better name than that. But essentially, these are going to be things that we are hearing through national podcasts, national you know, radio, whatever. DS and I write it down. It drives us nuts. So anyways, henceforth, the bothers my big segment. And we've got two bullet points to start with right here. So first up, bothers my big. Okay. Suddenly, amazingly, DS. When we start comparing conferences to each other and, and how good a conference is or, or isn't, suddenly now it's about the depth of the conference and the elite teams at the top doesn't mean as much as it used to because that was always the issue with the Big Ten is, eh, they don't have enough elite teams at the top. Now we've got two with Ohio State and Michigan. Suddenly it's different. Now we're supposed to respect the Big 12 and the Pac-12 because, oh, look at the depth. You know, any week is is a week you can get beat. That really bothers my big, that suddenly that has changed seemingly overnight. Well, it was weird that it changed uh, when a team named Tennessee beat Alabama last weekend. It seemed that that's when the depth really seemed to, to come into play a little bit. Um, what bothers me about this, and this is 
specific to maybe the the Big Ten West and the SEC East, because I'm going to use this as an example. It's interesting to me how when a team like Kentucky is good, all of a sudden it's, man, the SEC East, there are no easy games. This is a this conference is a grind. Uh, you got Georgia, you got Tennessee, you got Kentucky. Like, flip that over to the Big Ten West, and suddenly, and I understand that this year, I will acknowledge the Big Ten West is down this year. I think we've both acknowledged that. But Illinois and Purdue are at the top. It's not because they could possibly have good football teams. Of course not. Of course not. <laughs> it's because the rest of the division sucks. Um. That like I I don't buy into that sort of narrative. It like just because the teams you think should be at the top aren't at the top, that doesn't mean the, the division isn't good. By the way, it is still completely feasible. We have Purdue at five and two, Illinois at six and one, Minnesota at four and two. Completely feasible that or possible, I should say, maybe not feasible, but possible that, that all three of those teams could finish 10 and two. Right. It's a possibility. Yep. And I, I just, I don't know. It, there's always seems to be some sort of narrative that if you can nitpick the big 10 um, and even Kirk Herbstreet, and I, I generally like Kirk Herbstreet. I think he does an awesome job, but he made a point last week on college game day against my better judgment. I tuned in um, <laughs> and heard Rocky top way too many times. But he made the comment that the Minnesota-Illinois game, shouldn't this be a, a night game, uh, a Thursday night game, you know, because it has like kind of that 10 to 7, 12 to 7 type of feel. That just puts that out there that the Big Ten West is not entertaining, and it's just simply not true. I don't know, uh, I don't know why all of a sudden it, it's come to this, but we've been talking. The Big Ten is, is – there's no easy games in the Big Ten year to year. Um, and now all of a sudden it's switched. Yep. I mean, it just, again, it, it, whatever narrative it has to fit. And um, I, I always think the same stupid thing. I, I'm, before I even say it, I know this is stupid, but if somehow somebody moved in from Europe, right. That never had any idea about college football at all. And all at once took in the media and the football and everything. I don't know how that person could walk away, not saying, wow, there seems to be a bias towards the teams in the South and against the teams in the Big Ten. Like, I just don't yes. know how a neutral person could not walk away with that thought process because, and, and certainly Big Ten fans, including me, are biased to our number one team. And, and then in a protective type of way, the conference, because our team does our team gets knocked down by saying, quote unquote, the schedule's not tough enough. So that's how big 10 fans, whether they like it or not have to kind of be in this together. Yeah. Um, so anyways, long story short, I just don't know how somebody can't see that bias against the big 10 and for the sec. It just seems so blatant. That example you give gave with Herb street is the perfect example. He would never say that about two sec teams playing that don't play a, a quote unquote, aesthetically pleasing style of football. And Here's the other part about after the weekend, after Tennessee beat Alabama, it took that game for this absurdity. Like, it's just asinine. I've heard Heather Dinich already say three SEC teams could make the college football playoff, which has become it's it's become a tradition every year around this time to make that argument. And then I heard, I don't remember, uh, Matt Berry maybe and Paul Feinbaum, shocking, talking about, well, if this, that, and the other happens – we could see potentially Alabama, Georgia, Ole Miss, and Tennessee, a four-team SEC playoff. And it's like, what in the hell are we talking? What are we doing here? I know. I know. Because I, I don't understand. And, and is it – do they really think that could happen, or do they just want to poke the bear? That is, anybody that's Possible. not an SEC fan. Like, sometimes I think they get so high on their own stash, they actually believe that junk. Like, I honestly believe, like, they get – it. They get the train rolling far enough down the track where they can't tell where their BS and their actual takes begin and end. Like, I, I honestly think that, um, another thing I would add is, an, and, and I don't know where I read it. 
I, I don't know if I read it or I listened to it. I mean, that's my intake is so much on college football. I, I can't decipher between the two, but essentially it said, can we just get the big 10 regular season over so that we can get to uh, uh, Michigan, Ohio state and whoever that winner blows out from the other side. And I guess those people just completely forgot about the previous decade where Alabama dog walked everybody in the SEC every single year. I was going to do a stat dive and just see what the average Alabama score in SEC games was for like the past three years. I ain't got enough time to do that. I didn't do it. One would guess it would be something like 42 to 14. Like that would probably be the average score of Alabama versus other SEC teams for the last three or four years. Again, all thrown out the window because now we need to talk about depth and how that's important. Yeah. The other thing that frustrates me about this whole thing is, and nobody talks about this aspect of it. The big 10 plays nine conference games. The big 10, usually most of those teams are playing a 10th power five opponent in the non-conference schedule. The big 10 loads up a lot of conference games in week zero and week one. That doesn't happen in every conference. I know a lot of conferences have shifted, so they're playing some conference games early in the season, but I think the Big Ten probably has the most. I'd have to look and see on that uh, that stat. The point I'm making is you can't have 14 teams sitting at 4-0 entering conference play when that's the scenario you're dealt. You are going to have teams accumulate losses earlier in the season, so you can look at a team like, like Purdue – they have two early losses because they play Penn State in week one. They play Syracuse in week three. So they're one and two, and all of a sudden they're written off. Purdue's still a good team. They, yep. The two teams they've lost to have one loss combined. So this is this is what I'm saying. Like when you, Automatically, let's just say all things are equal. Automatically, the Big Ten is starting to get losses against themselves in week three, while the SEC gets to wait to week four. Until they start accumulating, or five losses. or six or seven, DS. right, right. right. Um, I mean, Tennessee plays Tennessee Chattanooga this week. I, yes, yes. And so, and I think probably a lot of Big Ten fans are saying we've done this to ourselves. And there is a there's a little bit of truth in that. Mm-hmm. In that the SEC is like we are going to do everything dirty and grimy, whatever it takes to set things up to make it as advantageous for us in our conference as we can. And only playing eight uh, uh, conference games and typically like on average, you know, three and a half out of those four non-conference games are a joke. Like yeah. they are a, a joke. That is them setting themselves up. It, you know, if there ever was a college football commissioner, which again, I, I will definitely throw my hat in the ring to do this. The first thing I would do is have uniformity on that yes. stuff all throughout. It's 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 absolutely ridiculous. It's almost like it's almost like um, um, in the NFL if one division got to play an extra preseason game or something like that, yeah. and, it, and it counted for you know that's not the perfect example. But you know what I mean? Like it's just completely different from what it's up against. It it is it is ridiculous. So the other the second point that kind of just fits into this and and, and what bothers my big. I can't prove this, but I swear I had this bullet point written down and then Joel Klatt stole my thunder because he had, he, I, I didn't even, cl- I swear I didn't even click on his rant because um, I didn't want his words and I love Joel Klatt's takes most of the time. Okay. But I didn't want to hit his take infiltrating my brain. And I swear every, every, everything I'll say here is organic, but what he was saying is that high scoring games. Okay like obviously the Tennessee-Alabama game, 52-49. to Not that long ago. We're talking five years ago, eight years ago for sure. That was scoffed and laughed at by SEC fans and the media for somebody, a conference that doesn't play any defense, yada, yada. You can't win championships. You couldn't do that in the SEC. Well, it's suddenly flying now in the SEC with, with these type of, you know, uh, uh, geeked up passing attacks. Now all of a sudden it's Vogue. It's cool. That's the sign that you're a great, that you're a great uh, uh, national championship caller team. Yep. 
Yeah, because Nick Saban put his stamp of approval on it, and God forbid anybody question what he does or says. Um, so this, uh, and this is going off of kind of piggybacking from from some other people. Ben Hartsock, who does uh, covers the Big Ten for Sirius XM Radio, he does a fantastic job. I've gotten to know him a little bit, um, pat myself on the back there. But anyway, um, so he put out this tweet, and I thought it was very interesting, and it was great that you you wanted to talk about this. Uh, so that 2002 Ohio State team that he was on, that team was a defensive powerhouse. Uh, so he put out, the, I'm just going to read the tweet word for word. The Ohio State formula we used in 2002 to win a title was hold opponents to 13 points or less. That sounded like a low number in modern college football. Completely agree. I would get. I would not have picked that number. However, the previous six years of the college football playoff champions have averaged 15 points per game allowed. Not so that much that's that exactly. So that tells me that you still have to have an elite level defense to win a national championship. You can win. It's the old cliche that uh, get you offense wins games, defense wins championships. I still think that's relevant, but the perception has changed that if it's a good defensive game, it must not be good football. And one of the examples I wanted to use was actually the Illinois-Iowa game. And I'm going to compare it to a different level here, so bear with me. Colts-Broncos, Iowa-Illinois. Both games had nothing but field goals. I knew I was watching a terrible football game when I watched the uh, the Colts-Broncos game. Like, I, nothing was happening. The Iowa-Illinois game, even though it was still only field goals, I felt like I was watching – it was way more entertaining to me because I felt like there was some offensive plays there. There yeah. was a time – like you got the ball – or Illinois would get the ball and you thought, oh, Chase Brown might be able to break one here. They were they were moving the ball. They just couldn't get into the end zone. Um, probably more so for Illinois than Iowa in that game. But the point being is I felt like there could be some big plays. There were big plays to be had. Um, and I thought the defense was good, whereas opposed to that Colts Broncos game, they it couldn't complete a wide open pass. Couldn't hit, it couldn't hit the ball in the ass with a handful of rice. I wanted to use that analogy. <laughs> nice. And and the other side of it is you just expect more from an NFL team. Um, and yes. the, the stats bear out that I mean I think we have enough data over the last five or six years that Iowa statistically puts together great defenses over and yes. over again. And Illinois has obviously put a great defense together this year. And to, to, you know, throw all of this together, anybody that thinks Illinois is not a good football team, I guarantee they all have the same thing in common. They have not watched Illinois play right. this year at all. Like it is a good football team. Um, there's a comparison I have there, but maybe, maybe we'll save that for next week for bothers my big uh, because it's, right. it's, an, it's another one that I can, I can compare and contrast the, the differences on takes, but Hey man, that was fun. That's fun. It wasn't, it. it was technically our first bothers my big segment, but it was actually in actuality is like the third or fourth one we've had. So I, I cannot wait until the college football playoff rankings come out. <laughs> <laughs> Spicy shooty is always return. To come out. Yep. Always waiting to come out. All right. Let's go ahead and get into the live football contest. We have got 10 teams in action, which means we got five games. There are four teams idle this week. The Illinois Fighting Illini, the Michigan Wolverines, the Michigan State Spartans, and the Nebraska Cornhuskers. By the way, there's obviously something going on here where the, the Big Ten made a point to, for teams to be playing at each other when they're both coming off an idle week. Yes. Michigan and Michigan State play next week. They're both coming off idle. Illinois and Nebraska are uh, playing next week. There will be co both both coming off an idle week. And the first game we will break down here is two teams both coming off an idle week. So thought I would point that out. As far as the schedule goes, two games early, two games in the afternoon, one game in the evening. As far as how they, they uh, map this thing out, it's about as good as it could have gone. So first up, on all these games will take place on Saturday, October 22nd. First up, the three and three Iowa Hawkeyes Going into the horseshoe to take on the 6-0 number two ranked Ohio State Buckeyes. This is the 11 o'clock a.m. game, a.k.a. the big noon game on Fox. Line bucks by 29 over under 49. Lines moved all around Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday. That one has stayed right where it's at the whole week. So Vegas is saying something like 40-10 to 10 
Buckeyes. Okay, I, I probably should have pre-warned you for this, but I got a quick little interesting stat kind of dump about this game, okay? Okay. One of the things that I've actually haven't seen that much on Twitter, but I would assume it's going to catch some heat here pretty soon, is how little Iowa and Ohio State have played each, o- each other over the past 10 or 15 years, okay? Yep. So I'm going to quote Scott Doctorman. I guess we're dropping names, you know, like crazy on this week's podcast. <laughs> but Scott Doctorman did, wrote an amazing article breaking down all of the great football contests that have taken place between Ohio State and Iowa over like 50, 60 years. There was games on there that, you know, I wasn't even aware of. Anybody that's an athletic uh, subscriber, they should read that article. It was fantastic. So this is breaking down more the lack of play that's happened between Iowa and Ohio State. The Hawkeyes and Buckeyes have met just once in eight seasons of the big of the league's East-West divide. During the past 15 years, they have faced off four times the same number of cancellations during that time. They were supposed to play in 2011 and 12. But those were set aside for legends and leaders. So the ugly legend, legends and leaders has even more depth to it. They were supposed to hook up in 2014. That's when Rutgers and Maryland joined the Big Ten. It reshuffled the schedule again, kicked that game out. And then Ohio State and, and Iowa were supposed to play in 2020. But COVID happened and it kicked that matchup out. So, And then the other thing is they've somehow done this thing where when Ohio State's in the Big Ten Championship and Iowa isn't. They they miss each other. Iowa got Michigan yeah. State and and Michigan last year. So like, long story short, it's been a a some crazy little stuff that's gone on on why Iowa and Ohio State haven't played as much as they have. I think I've said this on the podcast several times. I'm going to say it again. I love playing elite teams uh, because to me it's a it's a bit of a no stress situation. Okay. Right. As a 29 point underdog, there's not a ton of expectations I have as somebody that breaks down these teams as well as he can to, to think that to expect to win. However, if you somehow pull out the victory, it's the most fun thing in the world. So like these are less stressful games to me than Iowa state or Nebraska or Wisconsin. Like this is to me is just more of a fun game. That was total fandom stuff. I also find the article really, really interesting. So I wanted to get that out. Okay. Now breaking down the teams. <laughs> Ohio State is amazing. And Iowa's got some holes. Here's the funny thing, Diaz. You know where Ohio State has its biggest issues on the entire team? They're cornerbacks. <laughs> and I cannot think of a team less prepared to, to go at the weakness of Ohio State. Yep. Then Iowa's passing attack, but what you what you looking at here, man? Uh, well, first of all, did you see? So I I saw this tweet and I didn't look at the uh, the statistics until I looked it up on ESPN. But did you see that tweet comparing C.J. Stroud and Spencer Petrus? Yes. Uh, oh my God! So I'm just gonna give a sample because I'm sure it made the rounds. It feels weird getting information from Twitter again, <laughs> but. Spencer Petrus, they've thrown basically the same number of passes. I think yes. Petrus has 160 and Stroud has 161 or vice versa. Stroud 900, or excuse me, Stroud has 1,737 yards. Petrus has 939. Stroud has 24 touchdowns. Petrus has two touchdowns. They both have three picks. So they've thrown the same number of passes. And Stroud has 800 more yards and 22 more touchdowns. He has approximately <laughs> – uh, he's he's throwing touchdown passes at approximately a, a factor of 11 for over <laughs> over Petrus. Yeah. I, I looked at that, and I'm like, this is almost unbelievable. Like, I thought there was a glitch in my ESPN I, I was shocked, too. To, I mean, essentially it all comes down to you're shocked to see that Spencer Petrus has thrown as many passes this yes. year. As CJ Stroud. I mean, that is absolutely incredible. Um, obviously, the way that it's gone down is completely different. It's because we've had to throw the ball, throw the ball to get back in some games. I mean, a lot of those those uh uh passing attempts came against Michigan in the second half. And then with with Ohio State, I mean, when you get up by 80 touchdowns, there's just no need to throw the ball. Right. Stroud doesn't even have to finish the game. That's obviously what is going on here. Uh, another stat that kind of made its rounds. This week was from Barrett Salee. Man, this is the Drop of Names podcast. We didn't, we didn't even try to do this. Um, 
Iowa is the only defense in the entire country not to give up a play of 40 yards or more thus far this college football season. That's a pretty amazing stat. Iowa is yep. known for not giving up big plays, which then, of course, begs the question, has Iowa run a play on offense that has resulted in a in 40 yards or more? Come to find out they have run four such plays of 40 yards or more on offense. I don't know which stat is more confusing right there. Um, long story short, like it's no secret, you know, who we think the better team is in this game. The one thing, okay. Like can a team and we'll, we'll use Iowa this week. And I think I've said it on the podcast before. Can a team stop Ohio state from having the 30, 40, 50, even 25 yard touchdown plays. Okay. Get them into the red zone as often as possible and make them kick field goals that I mean, to me, that is the goal because other than their quarterbacks being banged up and young, their field goal kicker has barely swung his leg this year. So we don't, we really don't even know how good the the kicker is. And, And I, and I'm, you basically have to come up with conspiracy theories on how anybody outside of Michigan and the top teams in the country can beat Ohio state. I'm sorry, Ohio state fans, but that's where you get to when you break down these games versus Ohio state is like, what is the way that we could possibly see a good game? That's something I would be looking out for. That's a good point. Now this is going to sound weird, but try to follow me on this train of thought. This is going to go a little off the tracks. I almost wonder is Ohio state's big play ability. Would that benefit Iowa? Um, in the regard of if Ohio State is going to score some touchdowns, do you want it to happen on a play where or a drive where you go three or four plays, give up 40-plus yards? Obviously, that's not going to be the case all game. I'm thinking in terms of if Iowa's defense has to be on the, on the field for 12 to 15 plays, you're going to wear down at the end of the game. If you give up a big... 50-yard touchdown pass to Stroud in the drive last three plays, you're at least getting off the field and you're getting some rest, right? You're not on the field all day. The the one obviously issue with that is can Iowa's offense stay on the field long enough to get that defense a break and, and threaten Ohio State's defense? I don't know that they can, but it's something that if you're going to give up, let's say 21 points, do you want those 21 points to come on three play drives or do you want them to come on 13 play drives I just feel like Iowa's defense is really good. I think they're going to make Ohio State earn it. But the, the thing I th- think is going to happen is Ohio State's going to be really good and, and piece together some 8 to 13 play drives, score a touchdown, and then by the end of the game, Iowa's defense is going to be completely gassed. So, hmm. like, I, I, it's a weird train of thought, but it's just something <laughs> that popped into my head. And then coming off the bye, can you find something with two weeks of preparation in the Ohio State defense where your offense can stay on the field maybe get a touchdown here, maybe kick a field goal, and then you're in the game and your defense isn't completely exhausted by the fourth time the fourth quarter comes around? I see you working there. Um, the smoke, <laughs> the smoke's not coming out of your ears because you have the headphones on. I'm wondering if you just loosen them up, if, if the smoke would fly out, but I, I appreciate the effort. Um, there is something to be said about how Iowa's defensive stats, as good as they are, would be even better if their offense was better because simply yeah. because they've been out on the field too, too much. So like the gist of what you're saying is not lost on me. Um, with that being said, uh, I, I would want to make Ohio state work for it because essentially and I'm gonna, there's a, you know, along with the, what I had brought up before about, you know, getting Ohio state into the red zone instead of big plays, and outside of turnovers, like I, I struggle to bring up turnovers because it's something that's hard to, to count on for, you know, for any team in any game outside of that, the, the two things that would need to happen are this number one. And, and I know this is outlandish. I know I'm going to sound like another conspiracy theorist, but could Iowa just find a semblance of a rushing attack? Like, 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 no. is it crazy this year? Yes, it's crazy. It's crazy to think that it would be. Coming off an idle week, is there something that they've figured out? You know, maybe there's tendencies. I mean, Kurt, I think it was on something with like pre-snap 
you know, like yeah. uh, tipping off the plays, like maybe they self scouted themselves. I don't know. Can that lead to a semblance of a rushing attack? The other side, and I'm going to pre-apologize to Ohio State fans. I do not want this to happen. I want to repeat that again. I don't want this to happen. But the only other way that I can see this happening is if they, if the Iowa defense knocks Stroud out of the game by getting sure. to him, because if he's out there, the dude's just too good. I'm sorry. He's yeah. just, he's, he's incredible. Like he doesn't throw picks the pick six versus Michigan state two weeks ago was I, I think on the wide receiver, not on him. Like you just can't count that stuff to happen. So like to me, in order to get out there and get the shots, I think you do want to force them to have uh, uh, more time out on the field. So like, I guess I'm kind of, contradicting you there a little bit but you know long story short um this is a this isn't just an ohio state team that's looking to blow out iowa they're looking to blow out everybody on their schedule potentially all the way to michigan and i and i know penn state fans will not want to hear that but after what we saw last week versus michigan there's not a ton of reason to believe penn state's ready to challenge Ohio state. And I know they, they play them close. Don't get me wrong. We know that, but like, there's so many things that need to go right. And for, for Iowa and it, it, it is, and then the intangibles, they're both yeah. coming off an idle week. Like if right. Iowa was coming off an idle week and it was a night game in Kinnick, maybe we'd have something here. They're both sure. coming off an idle week. It's in the horseshoe. It's a noon game. Like I, you know, the, even the intangibles that you would want to see, I just don't see how they present themselves to the Hawkeyes this week. Yeah. Um, and having like, I don't, the only thing you said uh, that I would is can Iowa create some turnovers? They've done, they've done some good things that side. So I guess if you keep them on the field that long, you make them, make them play, you know, 13 plays, 12 plays, that's more opportunity to make a mistake. So uh, definitely hear you, but I, I just don't see this game going Iowa's way. I I think they'll be competitive. They have been all season, but at some point, I think the defense is just going to get worn down. I have Ohio State 34, Iowa 7. So that's still an Iowa cover, and that's an under. Yeah. Um, like potentially a team that a top five team, a, a top five high scoring team that Iowa could compete with is one that does not have a good defense. And in all mm-hmm. honesty, a couple of the Ohio state teams from the last couple of years, maybe there was a, a ray of hope that Ohio state or that Iowa could get the rushing attack going. Here's the problem though. Iowa seventh in total defense in the country. You know, who's fifth Ohio state, Ohio state people, <laughs> people. And, and the yards per play is better for Iowa than Ohio state. But Tommy Eichenberg, the, the Ohio state linebacker, he's going to have about 25 tackles in this game. If Iowa fans don't know that guy's name, now they're going to know it by the end of the game. I just don't see where the offense is going to come from, from Iowa. I've got Ohio state 41, Iowa nine with some of those scores coming late, as you've kind of alluded to. And at 50 points, that's just over the game total. And at the spread, it's just a little bit of a cover for Ohio state. All right. Sticking into the early game, the three and four Indiana Hoosiers at the three and three Rucker Scarlet Knights. This is an 11 o'clock a.m. game on Big Ted Network line. Scarlet Knights by three over under 49. So Vegas is saying something like a 27 to 24 Rutgers victory. I'm wondering, DS, if there's essentially two options to this game, a low scoring game that Rutgers wins or a higher scoring game that Indiana wins. Ooh. Um, I don't think I have that okay. <laughs> on my bingo card. Okay. Uh, I definitely see where you're going. I, I think Indiana can win a, a low scoring game in this. Um, what I'm going to be really interested to see is obviously Rutgers got the new offense. What kind of adjustments are they going to make? Who's going to play quarterback? The, the key to me in this game, I've, I think Indiana has fought these last two weeks. They haven't been able to get the job done, but I've seen some fight out of them against Michigan and Maryland, which I, I think is a good sign. I think the thing I'm looking for most is Rutgers at times this season, particularly I think with Vedral um, or Vedral or however you pronounce his last name, uh, has taken some deep shots down the field. And that's Indiana's big weakness. If they can convert on those, I really like Rutgers odds to win this game. If they, if Indiana is able to get some pass breakups and don't allow the big play, 
I really like Indiana's chances. Like I, I, it's probably an oversimplification, but well, I legitimately think that's what this game comes down to. Can Rutgers hit the big play? I don't disagree. Um, there is some intrigue to this game. Shout out to Captain Bug Eater, where he he voted for a different game for game of the week, but said, you know what? I'm pretty intrigued by this game. Like I do think it's a good game to have on. Uh, it's it's a bowl it's a bowl eliminator game. Let's yeah. let's be honest. Like it is hard for me to see either one of these teams making a bowl that loses this game. So I do think you're going to get some intensity out of this. Like for example, Indiana after this game. Penn State at Ohio State at Michigan State and Purdue uh, like that is a that is a murderer's row Rutgers by the way doesn't look any better um, first time on the road for Indiana since they went to Nebraska okay so not exactly you know things haven't looked great since they when they have gone on the road um, but I kind of with you is like can they get the offense keep pushing it forward um, I, I think they can and I think they will but and this is where I might surprise because, by the way, the two options I gave at the beginning of the of the of the breakdown, I don't. I'm not picking either one of them to happen either. So I'm like really contradicting yourself myself. I think we do have a first time this year healthy Noah Vedral. I yeah. think we also have a first time this year healthy Gavin Wimsat. I think Vedral gets a lion's share of the snaps, but Wimsat comes in and provides a spark. I actually see more points in this game than what I've seen a lot out, out of people okay. prognosticating it, not explosion. Don't get me wrong, but 49, just a little bit low. So in the end, I've just, it's a home game for Rutgers coming off an idle week. It's a Shiano thing. Um, if the game played out on paper, I think Indiana wins. I don't think it's going to play out on paper. I think Shiano's going to force errors out of Indiana and capitalize on them. That's essentially what I'm 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 banking on here. I've got Rutgers 28, Indiana 24. So that's a Rutgers cover. And at 52 points, I have this going over 49. So one thing I want to say that I want to see out of Indiana is I want to see more Jalen Lucas and I want to see more Josh Henderson along with Sean Shivers. I think if there's a chance, the one thing I'll say about Indiana in this game, I don't think their offensive line is good. Rutgers defense, they, they don't get a lot of sacks. They don't get a lot of pressure. If there's a game where you can run the football and you're going to give Connor Bazelak some time, I think this is the game. Um, I have Indiana 21, Rutgers 17. So that's an Indiana cover, and that is an under. Pretty healthy <laughs> under. Completely opposite of me. I get the under. I, I understand. This might be – I might be nerding out too much on this, but I, I feel – more offense coming because where people don't expect it because sure. of some guys being back for Rutgers. All right, moving into the afternoon, the five and two Purdue Boilermakers at the three and four Wisconsin Badgers. This is a two 30 PM game on ESPN line Badgers by two and a half over under 51.5. So Vegas is saying something like a 27 to 25 Badgers victory like to point out that not our game of the week, but this game got 32% of the vote on my poll. So there's a lot of people intrigued with this afternoon game. Okay. I didn't pre-warn you on this, but uh, I'll see how you do with, with this DS. So the Badgers have won 15 in a row in this series, which I'm sure you knew last win happening in 2003, a 26 to 23 win in Madison by uh, Purdue longest streak over an opponent in conference is this the longest streak over an opponent in conference throughout power five is it yes uh i would say no okay and then can you guess? I, that's correct and then can you guess? um ohio state over indiana is mo is way more right Oh shoot! Did I? I I'm not sure if I looked that up. I thought Ohio State hasn't or Indiana hasn't been Ohio State since 1988. I think. Okay, so so it is Ohio State. The one I saw oh, that's bad podcasting. I, I I I guess I never looked that up. The first thing I did was just go to Vanderbilt and the SEC, oh. and I just looked every single Alabama? one up. No, it was like I trying to think like their longest streak was like 12 or something like that. So I was shocked to see that. Right now, USC has is tied with Wisconsin with 15 straight wins over Arizona. Oh, wow. The winner right now, which just happened last week, Oklahoma 
has 18 straight wins over Kansas. Okay. So, <laughs> which was interesting because I, I felt like I didn't see that get, you know, thrown out there that much. Another thing to point out is Michigan had won 24 in a row over Indiana before they got beat in 2020. So anyways, long story short, I know you're a Purdue fan. I know you're sick of hearing about that. You get talking on the game. I'm going to quick look up uh, what was what Ohio State streak is over I'm, over Indiana. I'm going to guess it's you said uh, Michigan was 24. I think it, I want to say Ohio State's maybe 25 because I think okay. it was shame on uh, me for not thinking. But go ahead. Um, so on top of the fact that they've lost 15 straight, uh, this is where I actually thought you were going. 12 of those games have been by 11 points or more. So for the most part, Purdue has not even been competitive right. in this game. The thing that gives me some hope is unlike Badger teams of the past, there are some yards to be had through the passing game. And the fact that Purdue also has somewhat of a rushing attack and can provide that balance, I feel a little bit more confident heading into this game. Um, I would feel even better if it was at Ross Aid, but obviously it's not. Here's an interesting stat. Right now, obviously we're not we're through seven games. Wisconsin is allowing 215 yards per game through the air. If you don't count 2020, because that was a wacky, weird season, obviously, it's the first time since 2016 the Badgers have allowed more than 200 yards per game through the air, and it's the most since 2009 when they allowed 217 yards. Wow. So I think with Purdue's passing attack and the fact that they can now run the ball a little bit with Devin Mockaby, King Doru's back, I think – I feel more confident maybe than I ever have against a Wisconsin team that that Michigan state was able to throw the ball on them. I feel right. confident that Aiden O'Connell is a much better quarterback than Peyton Thorne. And they've got, I think outside of Jaden Reed, I think they've got some, a lot better options yep. in the passing attack. Uh, so a couple things looked it up 26 in a row, Ohio state is one over Indiana. So you were pretty close with that. Shame on me for not sniffing that one out. Um, uh, Wisconsin is currently ranked 24th in total defense. That's the bet that uh, Big Kurt and I had at the beginning of the year. We set an over-under of, I think it was right around 24. Yeah. Uh, so he's got the over, I've got the under. I don't think this is going to be a game that their total defense gets helped. Um, no. I like The thing is, you looked at the stats last week with Wisconsin and Michigan State. And the stats weren't that bad. It wasn't like Michigan State lit Wisconsin up like a Christmas tree. It's just that it feels that way when anybody has somewhat ease moving the ball on Wisconsin because of what we've expected that Wisconsin defense to look like or or come to expect that Wisconsin defense. It's just it's just not there this year. Like when you lose nine starters from from the team that you had last year. And, you know, we we still don't know how good some of these guys are that are in. You know, like, that's still a mystery. You've got your defensive coordinator, you know, getting pulled in many more different directions than he's ever been pulled in his, in his coaching career. Like, it's not that crazy to think, like, oh, okay, that's why Wisconsin's defense isn't looking as good. And then you right. balance that out with Purdue's offense. I think Purdue's offense is actually looking better than people even give it credit for. O'Connell was hurt for a while there. Like they've been a little bit more banged up offensively than I think people, a lot of people outside of West Lafayette realize. I think you started seeing them come back together these last couple weeks. In my opinion, Purdue running the ball well versus Nebraska was a Nebraska thing. Okay. Like that's, that's Nebraska's rush defense being very bad right now. However, Purdue throwing the ball, in my opinion, that was Aiden O'Connell dealing it. Like I felt like Nebraska defenders were doing a better job of of being around the ball and the receivers. Aiden O'Connell was just too sharp. And and all of those things factored together in the fact that nobody's more sick of hearing about that streak than Jeff Brom and Aiden O'Connell. Right. It's hard for me to not think that that Purdue's not going to get aggressive and put some points and yards up on the board this weekend. The I agree with you about Purdue's rushing attack looking so good against a bad Nebraska defense. But what I would say is this is the probably the most trust we've had in Purdue to be able to, if you need 
three or four yards, they might be able to get it on the ground. Yes. You don't have necessarily have to resort to the pass every time. Yes. That, um, thank, I didn't mean that as a besmirching. Right. Produce. Right. I, I just don't think there are 218 yards rushing a, a, a game type of offense like last week. With that being said, it's not crazy to think they're going to get a hundred yards rushing versus Wisconsin. And for the last five years, DS thinking that Indiana would get 50 yards of rushing versus Wisconsin was outlandish. It's a crazy year, man. I I don't know what to say. I know. And, and to, to harp or to, to, to expound on your point about Aiden O'Connell, that touchdown pass, he had to Charlie Jones at the end of the game, near the end of the game with a defender draped all over. That was one of the, I'm not even joking. That was one of the best passes I've ever seen in college football. It wasn't, it wasn't a deep throw. It was such a tight window to sneak it in. Um, I think it's been interesting too. You said this last week about Purdue not being able to put teams away. Jeff Brom alluded to that in his post-game press conference. He's like, this is how it's going to be. If you want (laughs) to, I laughed because he said, if you want to see a close game, no matter who we're playing, come to Ross aid because that's how it's going to be this year. Um, So that's on my mind. The one concern I do have about Wisconsin's offense, I still think Graham Mertz is inconsistent, but he's played better. Did can Wisconsin watch the tape? and see what Purdue's cornerbacks and safeties were doing and hit some big plays, especially to Chim DK. Um, I think that guy's really talented and he could give them some problems. So that's my biggest area of concern for this game for Purdue. Yes. I same thing. It's like nothing against Trey Palmer, but a lot of receivers would have had a lot of yards in that mm-hmm. game. Like we talked to, but Kurt and I talked about there, there wasn't a Purdue defender in the, in the picture and in, in right. on your screen, like, so certainly the the passing attack comparing you know Nebraska to Wisconsin Wisconsin Nebraska got a better passing attack they got a better weapon with Palmer so I I get that but some of that much of that was on Purdue's defense right. so I do think you will you will see a little bit more passing attack but what's crazy is I've got faith in Purdue's defense not to shut down Braylon Allen but to make him work for it and for yeah. me if still if Wisconsin cannot have an established rushing attack, I don't see them putting up a, a ton of points in any game, no matter who they're playing. And, and I would think almost any head coach and then through the defensive coordinator would say, make Graham, Bert, Graham Mertz beat you. Okay. Yeah. Um, I still love Braylon Allen. Agent zero is a talent. Don't get me wrong. He looks off this year. Okay. Something is up. He just doesn't look as good and confident as he did last year. I, I, I can't, not smart enough to tell you why it is. It's just, it's just what I see. I mean, I don't know who want to go, wants to go first, but I think the wrong team is is favored here in in Madison. I I agree with you. I think history plays a part in this. Um, Braylon, Braylon Allen's clearly um, not playing as well because he's no longer a seventeen year old freshman. I think <laughs> obviously, obviously. Um, I have Purdue third. I actually expect some points in this game. I have Purdue 30, Wisconsin 24. So that's a Purdue cover and an over. Okay. I swear I had that exact same prediction at one point. If I could, if I could go back in my, you know, history of my document, you would see, I had that exact same prediction. Um, And then I just thought to myself, I think, I I think Purdue's just better. Um, Another thing that I was going to point out at the beginning of the podcast, I completely forgot, but I used trends to affect my my uh, uh, predicting Michigan Penn State, those trends I, I hate trends. I'm back to hating trends. I'm never going to pay attention to <laughs> trends again. So there are no trends going on here. This is what I've seen from these football teams from the beginning of the year till now. It makes me nervous that I'm predicting this because this is more than a one score win for Purdue, but not a big one score win. Just enough for it not to be a one-score win. I think Wisconsin maybe even scores late. I've got Purdue 31, Wisconsin 20. So that's an 11-point win, which is obviously quite a bit over the two-and-a-half. And at 51 points, I've got it just under the 51-and-a-half-point game total. I wouldn't touch that thing with a 10-foot pole. The Eyes on Big Podcast is sponsored by the Amador Whiskey Company. Our unique process takes the highest quality Kentucky bourbon and finishes in California wine barrels. This double barrel agent technique creates unique characteristics in each barrel that produces one-of-a-kind whiskeys. Amador is made to be sip neat 
or is perfect for classic bourbon cocktails. Just like your favorite go-to Big Ten football podcast, Amador is the go-to whiskey this football season. Don't forget to hashtag Ask for Amador and check out our new website and finder options so that you can see where Amador is at near you at www.amadorwhiskeyco.com. Amador Whiskey Company, born in Kentucky, raised in California. One more game in the afternoon here, the one and five Northwestern Wildcats at the five and two Maryland Terrapins. This is a 2.30 p.m. game on Big Ten Network. Line Terps by 13 and a half over under 51. So Vegas is saying something like a 34 to 20 Terps victory. What you looking at here, DS? Uh, so just a couple things. Uh, I think the goal for Maryland early in this game should be to get Billy Edwards into a rhythm, have him complete some short passes. Um, this is, by the way, this is when it's really good for locks to have a rushing attack. Uh, and and I, they actually have one. So I think that you can depend, even though you got Talia out and their receivers are good enough that I think they can make a guy like Billy Edwards uh, look good, especially against a, th- this is a perfect game for Maryland to experiment without Talia. I, I mean, I know they're not experimenting, but um, to get kind of that tune up game, get Billy Edwards into a rhythm, get the chemistry down. Um because I think if you complete some short passes, get the running game going, then you're going to be able to launch some passes down the field, take advantage of a bad Northwestern defense. The only thing I have uh, really for Northwestern is just bring pressure and see if you can rattle Billy Edwards uh, because he hasn't really played in this type of situation. I, know, I mean, I know he did uh, in Indiana, needed to lead them to a couple touchdown drives, and he was able to do that. But just try to rattle him, get him out of a rhythm. If Northwestern doesn't do that, I don't think this is going to be much of a game. Yeah, uh, you hit the same stuff I did. Um, this is why you you work on your rushing attack, even if you are a pass-happy team, because something can happen to your quarterback. It could be the type of game uh, that just doesn't lend itself for whatever reason to, to the throw game. So that's good. Good on locks so that they definitely have a rushing attack. Also good that you're going against Northwestern's defense because they just have not had it this year in many capacities. But I think the thing that they're worst at throughout the entire team is stopping the rushing attack. So at one point I had more points predicted on the board for Maryland. I I choked that back a little bit because I think how much Maryland will run the ball will kind of speed this game up and take a a couple of points off the board. Um, And then by the way, you know, we kind of maybe skip through it really quick, but uh, Leah Tunga Viola got hurt, went out of the game last week. We erroneously made the assumption last uh, on the sun on the Monday pod, actually this week, that we thought he was out for the season. Locks back that out a little bit. Uh, he re-sprained kind of the same part of his knee, I think, is what it is. So we're hoping that Leah Tunga Viola will get back. I just don't think it would be this week. I, I would think they think they can beat Northwestern without Tunga Viola. Then you give him an, a two-week rest with them being idle next week. So that's why we think Billy Edwards will play. Um, you hit my the part that I was going to say too, which is I still have faith in locks and the stuff around Edwards. So I, I, I'm not saying that it, it's going to just go from, you know, right from the get go with no, no issues with a change of quarterback. I think there will be a little bit different style. I think we might see some power runs by Edwards, which could be something that Northwestern is not expecting. And as far as not expecting stuff, the not expected stuff is really the only thing that scares me as a Maryland better or Maryland fan here is Northwestern going to bring something to the table here in the first half that will surprise the Northwestern or the surprise, the Maryland uh, defense it, that, that little bit of unknown is the only thing that makes me a little bit nervous. Otherwise, I mean, pretty much everything you're looking at here, stats and on paper screams Maryland. Yeah. I guess the only, the only big question is how will uh, the uh, big 10 officials screw over locks yet again? <laughs> yeah. And I wonder um, though, if this is the one game, it doesn't because Northwestern doesn't winning this game does not, <laughs> does that help anybody? Let's be honest with you. Uh, yeah. But anyways, that's a good point. Um, by the way, so I have Maryland 33 Northwestern 13. So that's a Maryland cover and the other, if Maryland wins, I meant to say this too, if Maryland wins, they should be ranked. If Purdue wins, they should be ranked. Absolutely. Absolutely. They should. And I think they both win this week because I've got almost the same thing as you. I've got Maryland 38 Northwestern 17. So at 59 points, that's the over kind of like Maryland, the over in this game. 
All right, next up is the Big Ten Game of the Week, garnering 46% of the 942 votes. The 4-2 and two Minnesota Golden Gophers going on the road into Happy Valley to take on the 5-1, and one, number 16th-ranked Penn State Nittany Lions. This is a 6.30 p.m. game on ABC. It's the whiteout, baby. One of the best college football traditions every single year, not just in the Big Ten, but across the country. Line, Penn State favored by four over under. Pretty low. I was hoping it would be a little bit higher so I could, you know, play on it a little bit more confidently. But the over under game total is 44 and a half. Vegas is saying something like 24 to 40. Nittany Lions, shout out to my buddy Danimal and his beautiful wife. They are leaving Minnesota going out to happy Valley to experience whiteout. So I hope they make it out there safe and enjoy nice. their trip. Uh, yeah. Uh, so just a quick little, uh, deal is we might have a little bit of take on this game. And, and, and so anyway, you started out cause I'm a little bit curious where you're going to take this. So, uh, I think if I remember correctly, both you and big Kurt, let me make sure you guys, uh, were more impressed with Michigan's offense and offensive line rushing attack than you were, uh disappointed in Penn State's defense do I have that generally correct we mentioned both but yes we were more we were more uh, emphatic with Michigan's rushing attack than anything yes I am the opposite I think if Michigan just ran for 270 or 280 which is still quite a bit obviously I think I would be on your side with that um you look through the numbers Auburn's rushing attack isn't that good. Purdue's is better, but it's still not great. I mean, these these offenses that Penn State has shut down, Northwestern, and then you know some of the the other non conference teams they played, um, I, they just don't run the football that well. And so I'm wondering if we saw kind of like the real Slim Shady. Did we see the real Penn State last week against Michigan? Now, obviously, Michigan is a really good football team. I don't think Penn State would have won that game no matter what. Like. I think Michigan is still really good, but to me, um, I I just, I'm very concerned about what I saw defensively. And the other aspect about this game is typically after a loss, James Franklin's team does not play very well. Look at what, like this give, this game gives me serious 2021 Penn state, Illinois vibes. Uh, And I know it's a wide out. So there's a, there's a little bit more energy there. Um, to me, this is the kind of game though, that, that PJ loves. I think he's hmm. going to find something in that tape from Michigan and he's going to force Penn state to stop the run. And with Muhammad Ibrahim, Trey Potts, and some of those guys in the backfield that they have, I think, I think Minnesota is going to be able to run the football. So I, I understand your, your fear in rolling with Penn state for the rushing attack. I, I do the, Penn State's rushing attack versus strong rushing teams is going to be an issue. So, like, for the most part, I understand what you're saying. I just think it's it's focusing down on one part of the game a little a little too much, in 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 my opinion. Um, sure, there are there's issues with both of these teams. Is is the unfortunate yes. part? Um, I think I, I don't think I'm being crazy to say that neither one of these fan bases are as jazzed up for this football contest as they were back in August. I mean, only one loss for Penn state, but the, the style of the loss probably plays into, you know, the angst of the Penn state fans. Um, Then you've got both quarterbacks are, are banged up. I mean, it is possible that both drew Alar and then Ethan Kalamananis, I cannot say his name. I'm just going to call him AK 08 for the rest of his career. Cause there's no way I've got any yes. chance of, and I think it's Athen. I think it's Athen um, or Athen. I think it's, it's Nathan without the end. That's what it is. Anyway. Okay. Athen K whatever. So we got two quarterbacks that might be, uh, you know, new to this game. And, and let's just say this Minnesota's passing attack with Tanner Morgan going into the whiteout to face these defensive backs. That doesn't make me feel good. AK08 going into that same situation makes me feel even worse. Like, I don't know how you envision your first start in a major college game, but doing it at Penn State during the whiteout, brother, that ain't the time to do it. No, and but this this is 
it almost helps my argument because I feel like if this is going to be a game, PJ is not going to throw the football. Like, okay. Penn state could not stop Illinois last year. And I know this is, we're talking about two completely different teams, but I don't think even if Tanner Morgan was healthy, I, I think, uh, I think PJ's not going to, I just think he's going to take their defensive backs out of the game. That's Penn State's strength is yes. their defensive backs and taking in the passing attack. I don't think, I wouldn't be surprised if there were, I had this in my notes, a maximum of, of 10 passes that Minnesota throws in this game. I, I am with you there. I, I am with you there. But, and, and I, my guess is our score prediction is going to look somewhat similar for the total points. We'll see who we both have to pick. I'll be curious to, to know your prediction. So we are seeing the same game. Okay. We are seeing a, a, a Minnesota team that is going to have to rush the ball to get points on the board, because essentially that's going to be their only option at an, an offense. I also think Mo Ibrahim will have a successful day. Okay. So yes. like, I'm not saying that the rushing attack, is not going to be there for Minnesota. They may very well get to 200 and some yards rushing in this game, but at maybe a little bit lower per carry average than what you think. And certainly what it was last week versus Michigan. A part of that I think is pride. Okay. Penn state is a prideful program. They, they, they need to bow up and get better versus the rushing attack. Maybe one of the worst things that could have happened to Minnes for Minnesota is how bad that front seven looked versus Michigan, because one would think the tackling drills and the coaching is happening big time in state college this week. And that it's obviously going to be a focus because they know that's Minnesota's, you know, number one way to put, put points on the board. Another thing I would say too, is a lot of people, okay. Are saying something to the effect of we've seen this out of Penn state and James Franklin before, they're front runners. They lose that big game and then they fall apart. Yeah. That happened last year. I get it. I want to say it again. I think that was mostly injury based. Okay. So I, I think maybe people are bringing a little bit too much of last year into what's happening, potentially happening this year. Okay. Yeah. Yes. And no, I think, I don't know that Penn state's going to fall completely off the cliff, but 2017, they lost Ohio state, and Michigan state back to back. 2018, they lost Ohio State, Michigan, back-to-back. 2019, they lost to Minnesota. They beat Indiana by a touchdown, and then they lost. I can't remember who they played that following game. And then they lost. Uh, they lost that. It was probably Ohio State. They lost that game. And then, obviously, last year, they they lost to Iowa, and then things went off the rails. I, I do not trust James. I don't know what his message is, but it does not get across because those Michigan state teams that they lost to were, were not good football teams. They were bull eligible, but they weren't good. So I don't know what his messages or what kind of practice they run after a loss. It has proven to not work. So that's, I, that's part of the thing that goes through my head with this. I can't, I can't fight you too, too much on that. All right. I mean, I, there is something to that. Don't get me wrong. I, but I just, I don't know. I just, I feel like too much of the focus is on Penn state with, with this game. Whereas flipping to the other side, you know, I do think Penn state's uh, or uh, Minnesota's defense is good. I still think Minnesota's defense is good, but I do think there are available plays there for the Penn state offense to get a little bit more than maybe what, what, I don't know, Penn, uh, uh, Minnesota fans even think, like, I, I do think there is some offense that's going to be there. Like, I, I just think we're like the, the rushing attack has looked better this year. I think there's too much recency bias going on with you in that, <laughs> in that because they couldn't run the ball versus Michigan, that means they can't run the ball. Now, Minnesota and Michigan both have good defenses. Don't get me wrong. But again, at home, white out errors in the game that I would expect to be on the side of Penn State that that plays into my prediction here is is the goofy play jump ball situations are going to go Penn state's way because that's what this game is going to come down to. It's going to come down to the errors in the ledgers, you know, like which team doesn't yeah. make the error. I am, I am counting on Minnesota, uh, Penn state to be that team. This isn't a blowout by, by any stretch, but I've got Penn state 20 Minnesota 13. So that's a Penn state cover by just a little bit. 
And at 33 points, I still quite a bit like the under, even though this is set at 44 and a half. So uh, we're not that far off. However, I've got Minnesota 20. I have Penn State 16. <laughs> and at 36 points, I also love the under. And that was my Amador double barrel lock. Of the week. Of and the week. I forgot to do my, my Maryland covering the 13 and a half is my Amador double barrel lock of the week. I can't believe I forgot to do that. Um, okay. So I could kind of tell when you were going down the home stretch there, that this was that, that you, we were going to be pretty close. So we got to get going here. I got a little man that wants uh, some attention here. Um, DS, you got anything to add? Uh, I'm, I'm looking forward to this week's, this week of games. I love the big 10 has gotten the scheduling, right? Fox ESPN, all those networks two in the morning, two in the afternoon, one in the night. I love yep. it. Uh, yeah. And that's obviously how I'll be watching these games. I can successfully watch two games at once, uh, at the, at, at, you know, this weekend's games, as far as college football, you know, across the board, not, not as insane as last weekend was. I mean, right. not every weekend can be a blockbuster set of games like that but that kansas state tcu game at the end of the night that's at the same time as the as the whiteout game that's one that's got my interest there's a couple other fun ones to to check out all right man you got anything else that's it i am jeffrey the greek i'm not big kurt this has been the eyes on big podcast we'll talk to you soon